Welcome to the Heathen History Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ben. And this is our live episode from Trothmoot, where we were at the gloriously beautiful Fort Flagler State Park in Washington State. On beautiful Puget Sound, an authentic fjord. Yes, it was very Vikingish. Have you raided a fjord lately? So, in this episode, we have two really great guests with us. Uh, Melody Grundy, also known as Sagadis. And Diana Paxson, also known as Diana Paxson. Also known as famous author, everything. She's amazing. So, enjoy uh, this our very first live episode from Truthmoot. Um, the leader of Freya's Folk, uh, based out in San Francisco. Uh, and Edward stepped back, uh, did not yet formally sever himself from the troth, but um, uh, was was pretty much done with it and focused on the Rune Guild yeah, uh, he, after and that. He, he turned the troth over to Prudence Priest, which astonished me, mm-hmm. because uh, Edred, if you've read any of his stuff, is very uh, ceremonial, magically oriented, and extremely hierarchical and uh, very high church. Uh, and Prudence is one of the last of the tie-dyed hippies, uh, <laughs> although she could do ceremonial stuff. But uh, so he turned uh, the organization over to her. And I'm actually holding up an old picture of Edred Thorson that appears in one of these old copies of Vortru that I've got. Uh, frankly, um, he looks like he's about to uh, grab the mic stand and uh, sing. Uh, sing some classic rock or something like that. I thought that was a picture of Jim Morrison. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, Jim Morrison didn't have a mustache quite that big, but... But um, Just glancing at it, I thought that was Jim Morrison. Yeah, there there is a very definite... Everybody looked like that in those days. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there is is a very definite L.A. woman vibe about the the picture. Maybe we can put that up on our... Yes. Uh, one, one thing I do kind of want to point out to some of our newer heathen listeners, back then they didn't have the same level of resources that we had to do research, even on an academic level. It, it's not like now where I can go and send an email. You know, Ben has gotten stuff from all over the world. It was harder to come across. And a lot of things that we know now, like the um, unified Mother Goddess theory. I mean, that was still being taught in universities until the 90s. The idea that there was this great Mother Goddess cult, pan-European, and there were actually, and that Wicca was directly derived from that. Thank you, Margaret. Well, well Margaret. that was the, the, the myth of the great matriarchal yes. golden age, which was, was that's a whole other topic. Right, but it, there's, <laughs> I'm just trying to put some perspective yeah. on why the methodology necessarily like ceremonial magic there was still so much information out there that these were valid historical things one thing that the original Ausatru free assembly did uh before breaking up uh was they organized a letter writing campaign to uh the university of texas press uh to republish lee hollander's translation of the poetic edda Ah. uh, which was out of print Hmm. That might not seem like a big deal today. You can now get, there are, what, Hollander, Larrington, uh, Orchard, um, uh, Jackson Crawford. There, there must be five or six mm-hmm. uh, in-print translations of the Havamal. And of course, because of the internet, you can now get all the out-of-copyright old ones. 
Also, the Wagner translation of the Havamal. Okay, <laughs> thank you for the, thank you for the, um, thank you for the props. Uh, but yeah, you can now get the Olive Bray translation of the Poetic Edda, or um, you know Benjamin Thorpe's. You know, you have access to maybe a dozen Poetic Eddas, um, and you just didn't have that in in the eighties. Um, I don't know if there was any translation in print until they got. Uh, the University of Texas to reissue Hollanders. Uh, so I don't think Penguin was really publishing. I guess they had some of their saga translations out. Yeah, they were. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're right. There wasn't nearly as much information out there and available. You know, even if you did have access to a big library, it wouldn't contain what ours do now. Yeah, and I think we're very lucky in that respect. They did. They were doing the best they could with what they had. One of the things that I've got that was uh, some of Diane Ross's files, and I'm not entirely sure what to do with these, is that there's a stack, uh, maybe a foot high, of photocopied books. Uh, things they've been able to get at uh, University of Texas Library and photocopied because there was no way they'd be able to find a copy on their own. Um, that's what you had to do. Uh, build up a sizable library of photocopies in many cases because many of these books just weren't weren't there. And I think that that's so we go into the Prudence Priest era. Right. And I should probably shut up. Probably should have done that a while back. Yes, I can see the looks on your faces. Thank you. Thank you for that vote of confidence. And turn this over to Diana because uh, Diana was there and I wasn't. And I've read the issues of Aduna that were coming out at the time, and the troth was certainly growing and doing some interesting things. Um, and how about you tell us what some of those interesting things were? How did you find the troth? Well, I knew, I'd, as I said, I'd known Prudence uh, forever, and she'd kept me up to date on all the gossip with the whole thing about when, when everybody found out about the Temple of Set and all the Texas and Midwestern troth people went, oh! And uh, like we do, <laughs> uh, and uh, I knew that she'd taken over the troth. Uh, at that point, I'd been a, a, a pagan priestess for uh, since 1982, and uh, by in 1990 and 91, I was first officer of the Covenant of the Goddess, and then that was after, even before becoming a pagan, I had been running the SCA, so I had a fair amount of uh, organizational experience. And in 91, uh, the, Mary, the, the, the Covenant of the Goddess Festival was in, I think, Illinois, somewhere near Chicago. And I was running the Grand Council meetings which is a real exercise in herding cats. Uh, and there was a dealer's area, because it was also having workshops and things for people who were not stuck in the Grand Council meeting. Uh, and there was this booth there with runing stuff all over the place. Now, I'd encountered Odin in 87, started the rune class in 88. Uh, we went, did a year in the rune class, and uh, then I said, okay, who wants to helped me figure out how they did save, and they all went, because this was, we had a wonderful community, and we had very talented people, 
and uh, so we spent another year working on that. Uh, so I had all that, but I had not taken any, made any attempt to contact any national level heathens uh, because I was a little twitchy about things that I'd heard. You know, I can't imagine why. Yeah. So, so anyway, there was this booth, and after chairing Grand Council all day, I would gravitate over to the runes, and they had brought a five-gallon jug of mead. <laughs> and there were these two guys hanging out there uh, who turned out to be Bill Bainbridge and Phil Neering who were members of both the Troth and the Asatru Alliance. This was before they had gone specifically ethno-European. And so I would sort of settle down and the mead would start going round. And uh, we had many long discussions about this, that, and the other thing. And I figured, well, if these guys are in the Troth, um, that might be something that I would dare to take my kindred to. And so I, I joined as a subscriber. I was gonna you know, take a year and check this all out. And uh, but since Prudence was running it, she was holding Troth Moot in the Bay Area. So I really had no excuse for not packing up my kindred and uh, going out there. And uh, so after a year as a subscriber, I said, okay, this seems, these seem to be pretty good people. I will, I will join. So that's the point at which I became an actual Troth member. Uh, okay, by this time, Edred was off the scene. Feldulf had become the warder of the lore. Uh, I think I met him in 92 or 93, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, it, the, it was a pretty small organization. Um, the, the Troth has gone through a number of, it'll be going along fine, and we, we check along, we start getting pretty big, and then there's some kind of upset, and we kind of go back, and then we check along. I mean, gradually, the overall progress has been to be bigger and better, but it, it's a punctuated evolution. Uh, yeah. Punctuated equilibrium. Equilibrium, okay. I like that. Uh, you know, so there had been that, the, the one point when everybody found out Edrin was, Edrin was a Satanist, uh, it kind of went uh, So, in the mid-90s, uh, the way Edrin had set things up was a very, very hierarchical top-down organization. And the Reed had nine members, and the reed chose the reed chose the reed. And anybody that, that they liked who had done something that significant would get tagged and to be an elder. Um, and I think they probably tagged me because of putting saves together. Uh, I came in very easily because everybody had read Brasingaman. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, <laughs> Um, so, and they also uh, wanted me to, to be on the read. Well, 
Heathens, I think, in general, at least the kind of heathens we've had in the troth, tend to be more congregationalist in, in approach than Episcopal. And it was becoming increasingly clear that, that having this organization, that this directorate that, that kept choosing itself, basically, uh, there was, members d had no vote. Their members could certainly uh, write in and express their opinions and so forth. But uh, there, there was a growing movement for member representation. And uh, the existing read uh, by that time, they wanted to, to appoint me to the read, and at that point there was enough agitation going on for representation that I said, I will, I will serve on the read for one year, uh, but no more unless we have elections. And having been through all this in the SCA 10 or so years earlier, there's a point in an organization where you have three choices. Because people stand up and say, okay, who put you guys in charge? And at that point, you can either say, oh, you want to do the work here? <laughs> you can say, um, over my dead body, and get booted out. Or you can say, oh, okay, let's see if we can work out some kind of a logical transition. Uh, and I told Prudence this, and she didn't understand, and she was still digging her heels in uh, about not changing anything, but we had enough people on the, the read who uh, agreed that the time had come to make a change in, in how things were organized. Uh, this was around 96. And so the year that I called the Glorious Revolution, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was major blow-up time, and a lot of people resigned, uh, and it kind of left me and Bill Bainbridge <laughs> trying to run the whole thing. And we sat down, and uh, I used my previous organizational experience, uh, and we rewrote the bylaws and uh, set things up with what is basically the current organizational structure. Uh, the, the bylaws, I should ha point out, however, have been revised many, many times <laughs> since then. But, uh, and, and then we slowly started building our membership back up again. Can I add a funny one? Uh-huh. Real fast. Uh-huh. Around this time, I've gotten married to Gefeld Offer, and we're living in Sweden. Well, I should tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 because then you can tell about living in Sweden. Oh, okay. Because, because the story of how you met him. Okay. So she was living in my house. <laughs> and Kvoldolf had uh, written me that he wanted to come out to the Bay Area, and there was some uh, initiatory work that he wanted to do, and he thought maybe I could help him. 
So, and I said, okay, great, you know, and we'll, we'll lay on a feast for you and, you know, do this and we'll do that and so forth, you know. So it was the great troth elder, Feldwolf is going to come to, to, to great to, to, to visit Profnark. So the whole kindred is there and we've got the, the roast pork and the, you know, the whole nine yards. And so, so now you tell what happened. Well, okay, actually, I... I had moved out, we were, I was still in Rothner, but yeah. I was living with my friend Bill, and we had a pottery class that we changed the night of so we could go to hear Gunderson. Now, I had always heard this person referred to as Gunderson says, so I'm imagining this 15-year-old guy with a monocle, right? And we all thought that, and I walk in and I see this wonderfully handsome young man who I apparently, I don't remember doing this, but apparently said, actually blurted out, because I looked at Bill, my roommate, and I looked at him, and I said to hi, and we met, and I said, by the way, are you straight or gay? And the nice young man looked at me and said, what? And I said, well, my roommate and I both think you were very handsome, and we want to know which one of us should throw themselves at you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, it, it turned out, to make a long story short, um, for about the first 10 minutes, I gathered at... Um, Cavell Doffer was looking at my other friend, who also is, shall we say, kind of, for radio listeners, well proportioned. And he, but he was looking up at her, and then he looked down at me. I'm four foot eight, and he's five foot six. And so it wasn't quite love at first sight, which I did not believe in until then, but it happened. And then you might want to tell about the ritual. Well, <laughs> then we all go in for the ritual. And I introduce our great guest. <laughs> and she realizes that this hot young guy she's been flirting with in, in our library is the great Feldul Gunderson. <laughs> but by then I'd already fallen. So, you know, the rest is history. But the story I was actually going to tell real quickly, it, back, back to when the trose was, okay, we've been married about a year when this all blows up. So we're not, th we're not there anymore, but we're getting it sideways. We get this, this email it isn't just to us, but it's to several other people from Edred, which oh, says, yeah. obviously, everything is fault. I've never met Edred, by the way, but I always hear him in my head with this voice of Gunderson, only it's Edred. But he writes, obviously, things are falling apart. I must come back from the shadows. I shall be the hidden Drighton of the Ring of Trolls. Oh, can I read something here? Can I finish? Go ahead, please. Yeah, do. because I will be the hidden Drighton of the Ring of Trolls. And we had a Norwegian forest cat, this great, big, fat, orange cat that used to, including when Diana came to stay, would go under the bed and hide and snore. <laughs> and you, when Diana was staying with us, she actually experienced this. She goes, the bed is snoring. <laughs> okay. And, 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 I, and, and Kveldoffer looked at me and he said, Edred is not the hidden dry of the ring of troth. Our cat is the hidden dragon <laughs> of the Ring of Troth, hiding beneath the bed. So that, so, so actually, to this day, we believe that Fokhari, aka the Great Pumpkin, is really running things somewhere from beneath yeah. the bed in Freya's Hall. Yeah, Bill Bainbridge got this letter and, and called me up and quoted it to me, and I said, right, he wants to come back and get the credit and not do any of the work. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have the letter here. <laughs> Edred uh, reprinted this in his uh, History of the Rune Guild. Uh, there's a lot of old clippings and 
correspondence that you can't uh, find anywhere else. And should, well, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> and it reads as follows. The Drechten's Word, February 14th, 1995, Common Era. With these words, be it now known that I, Edred, claim the office of Drechten of the Ring of Troth. Be it known that I have always been the Drechten, and my token has been that of the raven banner which I have held to myself. With these words, what has been hidden is now made known to all. The work of the Drichten is in his being, not in what he does. <laughs> the Drichten embodies the highest aspirations of the ring. Looking like Jim Morrison. <laughs> when he does call upon himself to act in an outward way, it is to call the leadership and the general membership to the work before us and to act as a leader on behalf of the ring in times of conflict with forces outside the ring, I now call upon the high reed of the ring of troth to declare me Drichten of the ring without dissension that the threefold might and main can be restored. Yeah. According to his biography, he didn't think for a minute that they'd actually accept him. Uh, it was a gambit. Um, okay. And that's why he said that uh, he had to be accepted unanimously by the reed. Well, he, he, he at least knew that much. Right. <laughs> the reed has been known to do things unanimously, actually. That, uh, that, yeah. that, then what? They made you an elder. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you read Mimir as well, <laughs> if you read Mimir as well, you will see that, that there are are mm -hmm. a lot of things passed unanimously. Right. But something like that, no, I don't think so. I, right, and I think Bill Bainbridge right, immediately said no, and yeah, that yeah. was the end of that. Yeah, so, so Bill was, was steersman at that point, and uh, he put out one issue of Aduna and then turned it over to me, and I started with issue 31, mm -hmm. which was then being uh, typed, done on a computer, but was then pasted up. Well, yeah, that I was seem, just precious. Yeah, I seem to recall that Bill Bainbridge wrote in that issue of Aduna that uh, he'd appointed you as temporary uh, <laughs> publisher until someone with the appropriate qualifications could be found. <laughs> and be it said that uh, this temporary uh, appointment has now lasted something like, what, 88 issues and counting. Yeah. And I, for one, am perfectly glad. I mean, <laughs> you know, the... the our qualifications have been hard-earned on the job over many years. Well, I will say that, you know, I am not committed to doing it for the rest of my life. And uh, if there are people who can demonstrate that they have put out magazines and who might want to do a guest issue from time to time or, or you know, join the team, uh, I would be perfectly happy to consider that. Or even if someone just is willing to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She will take an apprentice, I'm sure. Yeah. Whatever opinion I might have of some of Edred's conclusions, you know, I've seen in the troth the fact that if any one thing becomes somebody's baby, um, it's easy for that person to burn out. And the troth had a reputation for a while of eating its own uh, because we'd have, you know, people in office and a lot would be on their shoulders and they'd often be wearing more than one hat. And uh, Diana, I don't know how the heck you've done it. You've served <laughs> just about every office that we've got, sometimes two or three I've at once. I've never been a steward, but I, I was still doing Aduna when I was steersman. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you, you must be made of aircraft titanium or something like that to well, be able to take okay. that kind of stress. Well, while we're 
on the subject. I don't know how you do it. Mm. I mean, the amount of you put out over the years, and that just that whole troth publication list is mostly been, uh, right. uh, you know, just astonishing. Well, His, he has a gas-powered uh, Black and Decker coffee maker. Oh, is that it? <laughs> oh, that's it. No, the the Black and Decker coffee maker is currently in the shop because it's kind of hard to find ape hangers uh, handlebars for that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my my experience of organizations is, if the checks get deposited, and people get the publications they paid for, you can. Really, if those things happen with some kind of predictable schedule, uh, you can cope with almost any other problems in an organization um, with the, the, the large majority of the membership. Uh, but, but those things absolutely have to function. Uh, the mail has to get picked up, and we've, we've had periods where there were some issues with that. That's the challenge of having our, our leadership rotate around the country. And Fortunately, a lot of that has moved to more electronic. Yeah, but, but, but the mail still has to get yeah. picked up. So uh, the Philadelphia office, which we, have, we had to have a physical location with a phone number, uh, and that, that you can't be changing your phone number and your mailing address every three years. It just does not work. So. Uh, that, I think, is a challenge that we still, I think, have to rest, rest phone number, wrestle with. The phone number is going to start coming to me after growth mate. Oh, okay. Because no. yeah. uh, as public relations director, apparently, that's my job now. Uh, yeah, the, 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 we should say a few words about the, the effect of the rise of the Internet. Mm -hmm. Because I can remember... I. <laughs> I can tell, Odin, as I well recall, the first Claymore in the world <laughs> was on the first Troth mailing list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had an email list called Trothline, and I don't know much about it except it was unmoderated. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ratatosk came into his own. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like I, it does kind of crack me up when people kind of go on about some of the arguments that are on like the Facebook now or on the current Truth mailing mm -hmm. list, and I'm like, man, they should have been here in like 2003, 2004. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. I can I can go back a little bit before that. I'm not nearly as old school as Diana, but I was interested in heathenry, albeit not declared heathen, uh, in graduate school. Uh, in uh, the 90s, and it's odd. I was in Berkeley, and Diana was in Berkeley, and our paths never crossed. Uh, this graduate school tends to put uh, serious <laughs> tunnel vision. Uh, but I picked up a copy of Edred's Book of Troth, and it sounded interesting. And I'd already heard about Alcetru from a, a friend of mine who was a tarot card reader in New Orleans, uh, in Jackson Square, a man named Jarek Danerson. Uh, so I got on this internet thing and I went to this thing called Usenet, uh, which some of you young whippersnappers don't remember. And there was a discussion group called alt.religion.asatru. And about 10% of it was interesting and thoughtful and informative and reflective commentary. 
And about 90% of it was people from people who probably had steel plates implanted in their head, because dang. And the microwave on. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, endless rounds of flame war and bickering and repeated socio-political posts that I couldn't make heads or tail of from somebody who kept uh, signing all of his messages with um, something like, the promotion of ethnic barriers gives apolitical chance, apolitical genes a chance to survive. Change the tools and you change the rules. And no, I have never figured out what the, what the guy was talking about. <laughs> but this was, this was standard operating procedure. But I mean, before that, with everything being done by snail mail, you know, you could feel drawn to the Norse gods and never encounter anybody who felt the same way. I, I I feel incredibly lucky that you know I when I remember I, for the longest time it was it was us it was Ben and I, mm -hmm. I you know and I found him through Witchfox Witchfox right and which by the way if you don't know which Witchfox is Witchfox was the OG pagan social networking site mm -hmm. it's still there full of really great information. I suggest you go check it out. But I mean, that's how I found Ben. But I mean, before that, you would have to somehow get a hold of one of these publications, write them, get a list of people, or they would send you. It was all done through the mail, and it's so different. Mm -hmm. So we've we've laughed at some of the uh, some of the more um, goofy aspects of our past, perhaps, and some of it does sound that way now. And certainly there have been any number of mistakes and wrong turnings. And I've decided that the reason the troth is where it is is that we truly have the favor of the gods because <laughs> frequently it seems like we are where we are in spite of our best efforts. Uh, because there are so many, yeah. yes, so many, so many, so much dirty laundry we could air if so I wanted to, for, but I won't. For, for more information on, on the history, um, Stephanie von Schnurbein, I can't remember the titles of either of these books, but Stephanie von Schnurbein has written a history of Asatru, and I think it's called Asatru something or other, uh, which also includes the European history, uh, as well as the, a lot about the American history. And uh, Jefferson Calico has written a book that just came out last year, which is also a history. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Calico's history. book is very good. I'm still working on Schnurbein's, but it's been very good so far. Yeah. So, um, so I want to ask you a question, Diana, because I feel like this is, or Diana, I'm sorry, this is something that comes, hits me a lot. And I hear this criticism when it comes to the truth, is that, and I think part of it is that legacy of Prince Priest, but this idea that you know, it's wicked true. It's, you know, you hear a lot of these accusations that we're not real heathens because mm -hmm. of the past. What, what is your answer when people say that? Because you, a lot of times you're, you know, you and Prudence to get brought up in that. Well, argument. the first thing I would ask is define wicked true. And, and, and if they define what they think it is, then I can demonstrate that we're not. But, uh, yeah, that, 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 that part of the problem is, especially for the older stuff, a lot of us came to Asatru or heathenry after having been Wicca, which meant that we had come in with certain knowledge and skills, which was useful, 
but we and everybody we knew were used to doing things in a Wiccan way. And there, there are elements in my Pravnar practice which are left over from that. So we like to cast a circle or in some way, uh, well, for that matter, the whole Hammerite thing is uh, right. based uh, on the uh, oh, yeah. that ritual of the lesser banishing pentagram Kabbalistic thing. Uh, or inspired by it, I think, is the yeah. best way to put that. So, so the ceremonial people had brought in baggage from there, which was mm -hmm. not Wicca true, but it, it yeah. was certainly not heathen. Well, uh, we'll be, later on we'll be doing a more detailed comparison, but uh, the Viking Brotherhood, which later became the Asatru Free Assembly, didn't really do much in the way of organized ritual or worship until after Steve McNallan uh, returned to, uh, not returned, can we edit that out? Yeah. Didn't really do much in the way of organized ritual until Steve McNallan came to Berkeley. Uh, before then, they were simply, even if he'd wanted to, they were just too small, uh, too scattered. Uh, and of course, with him serving in the army, there's a lot of limits on you know just what he can do organizationally. And a lot of the early writings on actually how do you go about worshiping the Norse gods uh, comes from this time when he's working closely with Prudence Priest. Uh, there was a Freya's Folk section uh, in every one of the runestone issues over a certain time uh, until that was withdrawn. Uh, I think they had some sort of falling out. I'm not sure what it was about. Well, there was some land on the Sierras and mm -hmm. she was uh, being a caretaker and I not sure exactly, but there was a big upset about that. Right. But yeah, there is even, I will bring this to a future episode of the uh, podcast, but uh, there was actually Freya's Folk and the AFA together uh, sponsored a gathering in uh, Northern California, which actually included getting skyclad. <laughs> and a lot of the ritual structure of that time comes from Wicca because Wicca was pretty much the only game in town. Plus, the, you, you also, at that point in time, had a pretty strong belief among the pagan community and among uh, even some academics that Wicca was legitimately a unbroken, lineaged practice, and it was historical. Right. And, you know, the people we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, uh, Rudd Mills uh, did try to found an actual religion, and he based it on a cross between the Anglican Church and Freemasonry. Uh, Elsa Christensen wasn't particularly interested in ritual or worship uh, at all. Uh, most of the content of her newsletter, The Odinist, was socio-political analysis from a far-right slash third-position perspective. Uh, she was proto-Glenn Beck. But she didn't really get into, you know, how do you actually go about honoring the Norse gods? Mm -hmm. uh, she actually ran a book service for a while, but most of the books that were available were, um, uh, that she offered were, you know, right-wing political commentary. There wasn't that much about Norse mythology or Norse religion, and there wasn't anything there that suggests that this was something you could actually do as a spiritual path. 
And also, I think a lot of people that came into heathenry, and some of them to this day are still kind of maybe don't ident necessarily identify mm -hmm. as heathen, are people like my friends Jan and Gavin in Ireland. And Janet, of course, was her, her first husband was Stuart Farrar. But Janet has always worked, for example, with Freya. And her husband, Gavin, sort of, I don't know his whole history, but he was a reenactor and very interested in the runes, and he's Saxon. And he teaches, I mean, Kveldhofer has, has sat in on at least one class, and he says, you know, when people want to learn the runes, and they're in Ireland, you know, he, you know, he has no problem with Gavin's rune classes. But yet, yeah, I mean, if you want to call it Wiccatru, you can, but when, if you visit their Wiccan circle, mm -hmm. they're very often Frere and Freya, well, because uh, actually, especially because Gavin is a priest of Freya, that's what he considers himself. You know, they will, and so I think they're, and so a lot of groups that came in, especially to early in in the 12th, uh, Rothner started as a spiral circle, if I recall well, correctly. Or, it started or sort of as out of, the rune class. As a rune, it started, yeah, rune I wasn't there yet. And then it was the Sage group. And, yeah. And then we realized we had become a kindred and got ourselves under the umbrella. Oops. But. Oops, we're a kindred. Huh? <laughs> so kind of like, oops, we're a kindred. <laughs> yeah, but, but I remember when you came in and said, we're going to join this thing called the Troth, and everybody said, what? Because yeah. you had to explain to us what it was. Yeah. And then the first time that I went to Alex Jerome, you know, I, is uh, another person you'll probably want to have about a contest. He's passed away now. But he had a wonderful group going and did a lot of writing and was responsible for a lot of early things. And you could yeah, address that better. He had been in the troth forever. Yeah. And, but when I went to their first ritual in, was it Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, Arizona. Uh, New Mexico. Well, New Mexico. In New Mexico. In New Mexico. OK. And I'm standing there. And I have no idea what to do because it was being like being an Episcopalian who was suddenly attending a Catholic mass. From what we had developed or what Diana mostly and, and others had developed for Rothner and how we did rituals. Taking them from the same sources, we did many of the same things but not in the same way. So I'm standing there holding this horn going, what do I say? Because it's like familiar, but it's not. And so there, there, were, there were also like different groups came in with different things. And I think that's kind of part of where, you know, because there were groups that started out Wiccan and eventually kind of became mm -hmm. heathen. Yeah. Well, we'd, we'd, I'd never, uh, I never actually did attend any of uh, the AFA celebrations. So I'd, when we started, I'd never seen another heathen ritual. And after I joined the Troth, and started seeing how other people were doing, I have refined and, and adjusted uh, Rafnar's ritual practice in many ways over the years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, I was saying this earlier and I got sidetracked. We sometimes laugh now at some of the things that heathenry was in the past that seem goofy or strange or outrageous, but there was an enormous amount of heavy lifting that had to be done simply in establishing the idea that you can go out and learn something about how the Germanic gods used to be worshipped and then go do it yourself in your own home. And you know, people like Elsa Christensen never did quite figure out how to, to do that. And people like McNallan and Edward Thorson, however much I might disagree with them ideologically, you know, they did an enormous amount of work in just simply establishing, you know, a model for how you go about making this a living religion that's rooted in the past and yet responsive to daily life. 
And Diana, of course, has done an enormous amount of the heavy lifting as well. And I will say, when I hear that criticism, which is kind of frequent in our neck of the woods, because people, um, I'm like, listen, has your group been around as long as Rafnor has? Alrighty then. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing is, do they have any idea what a what Wicca is, <laughs> and b what we actually do? Yeah, it's it's yeah. the it's so. But anybody who is known to have been associated with Wicca or who has written magical things that are not strictly Ossetrue get tends to get called that. I get called that because I have a associates from Wolstenstein. So right. yeah. So I want to open up the floor for questions. If anyone has questions, please come up and we have that mic is on. Thank you. Um I just had one question. How come that letter that says, I'm in charge, bow down and worship me, sounds so much like a Tolkien novel? <laughs> a what novel? Tolkien. Well, because uh, Tolkien was uh, the best example of that kind of, of uh, language around at that period. And a, a good source to borrow from. Yeah. Uh, Steve McNallan's inspiration in founding the Viking Brotherhood was a novel by Edison Marshall uh, called The Viking, right. which a few years later was made into a movie with Kirk Douglas called The Vikings, right. uh, which is probably most famous for uh, the immortal line, Hail Ragnar! Hail, Hail Ragnar's beard! <laughs> and they're all holding their drinking horns the wrong way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it goes frothing down their hairy chests. Although Kirk Douglas did his own stunts and actually did climb over the gunnels of the Viking ship and walk along the oars as they were being rowed. Yeah. Uh, that's actually mentioned in, in one of the hot pants. Yeah. <laughs> but that's mentioned in one of the old sagas as a feat of skill that Olaf Tryggvason could do. Yeah. And Kirk Douglas actually did it. So I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> so, any other? So, if you could go back and do it all over again, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> what, if anything, would you do differently? Uh, I would make Ben sleep more. <laughs> um, I would I would have gone uh, gone with my brother-in-law to some of McNallan's rituals because I don't uh, really have any idea of, of what he actually did. Um, I have met him and uh, he's an Odinsman. He's very charming, very smooth. Uh, that's the thing about the gods. Uh, they are opportunistic, and uh, if McNallan and then later I were among the few people around who were listening and trying to do something, uh, they will work through whoever is available to work through. Uh, and if better servants become available, then I think they're happy to move on. Um, but they, they take a long view. Uh, they have to, 
and so it's sometimes very difficult for us when we're in the throes of the latest cat fight on the internet to, to, to step back and go it, that there are things which now have been founded and established and there's enough material out there that you know something could happen to all our current leaders and there's enough basis for people to continue carrying things on and putting things together. So I think we've achieved that much. Um, the, it, and among the other things that the, the rise of the internet has uh, made available, uh, when I was writing the Odin book, and which in many ways was a, it forced me to go back and look at everything I thought I knew and make sure that the fact that the way I was remembering it was in fact correct, or at least something close to correct. Uh, and I discovered to my joy that just about everything in, in Old Norse is available on the internet in Old Norse so that I could go actually go back to, to quotations and, and check the, the, the original against the trans, different translations. And, and that, just as an aside, if you really want to have fun studying the lore, you take your Old Norse dictionary, you take your original Old Norse version of the Eddas, and then you take five or six different translations and go through it stanza by stanza, and you suddenly discover there are five translators and they don't agree. And then you go back to the Old Norse and then you come up with your own translation. <laughs> I, can, I can add one thing to that. It's a lot more fun if every time you find a spot where the translators don't agree, you have to take a shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but then you'd be really drunk. I, or, yeah. listen, I would not advise this to any of our listeners. We do not want to cause alcohol poisoning. But, but the thing is that you can do that now. And, and the other thing, that very recently, I'm, I'm on this Academia Edu list, and oh my goodness, like every other day in my email, there is this, here's this paper you might want to read. Uh -huh. So it's not just the historical source books or the original material. I mean, it is hard to imagine now how little was available. When I got started in, in 88 with the rune class, I had a copy of the Elder Edda, I had a copy of the Younger Edda, I had a copy of Thorson's Futhark, and a few sagas. That was it. And uh, perhaps some inspiration from Odin. But the, you know, now, uh, and Tom Johnson was, was, had access to uh, articles that he would then photocopy for me from time to time. But now, you know, this stuff is coming in uh, daily. Yeah. There, there, used to, yeah. we. there used to be a bigger barrier between the academic world and yeah, yeah. the popular world, but the veil between the worlds has become thin. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Yeah. So, guys, thank you both so much for being here with us on the podcast recording. Um, we really appreciate it. It's wonderful to get this stuff actually down from the people who experienced it rather than just our interpretations from various writings and books. 
And I mean, once again, thank you so much. And we will be back mm -hmm. to a regular show next week. All right. In the meantime, you can check out our Facebook group. Uh, yeah, Facebook page. Facebook page. We're basically Heathen History on Facebook, Twitter, HeathenHistory.com. And for the participants here, you are going to get some stickers, and we're going to do a drawing here for a prize in a minute. So, um, once again, I am Lauren. And I'm Ben. Wassail, y'all. <laughs>